0: In the year 2003, her U.S. Army convoy was attacked while on its way to Baghdad. She survived the ambush, but became the first black female prisoner of war in U.S. history. Iraq War veteran Shoshana Johnson. I'm Maria Hinojosa. This is One on One. Shoshana Johnson, you were taken prisoner in Iraq in the year 2003. You are actually the first black female prisoner of war, and now you have written a book about that experience. It's called, I'm Still Standing, From Captive U.S. Soldier to Free Citizen, My Journey Home. Welcome to our program. It's great to have you here. (laughs) Thank you. You decided to write this book, but you, you didn't have to write this book. You could have just put this chapter away. What was it that that made you say, you know what, I have to tell my story about being the first black woman prisoner of war?
1: Well, uh, there was so much out there floating around, misconceptions about the experience and what happened to me, I just really wanted to set the record straight from my point of view. Um, Since the book has come out, I've come to the realization that no matter what I say, there's going to be people who believe what they want to believe but I know that I have put the truth out there. You
0: are basically raised in an army family. You're an immigrant from Panama. Yes. Your dad joins the army, and he goes and he serves in the first Gulf War. Yes, he did. And at that point, you're a kid. And I remember in your book, you wrote that what it was like to have your father away
1: was just horrible. A lot of worry. I was um, my senior year in high school, and he missed most of it. And uh, this is a point where you're transitioning to be an adult and you need that advice and I'm worried if my father's going to come home, you know. And this is where I get stuck because I'm like, if you went through that
0: kind of worry, why would you ever want to join the Army knowing that there could be a time when you're going to be
1: deployed and when your family's going to be worried about you just the same? Well, you know, you go through life and things happen. Um, And that's one of the things my parents taught me. You can't control every aspect of your life. You can just do what you can every day. I mean, there are people who go out the door in the morning going to their safe, normal job and die on the way there. So you just accept the risk of life and you live it the best way you can. Um, The military was a great opportunity for me to further my education and it is something that um, I definitely believe in, serving your country. um, You know, freedom isn't free. As an immigrant to this country, I understand what it is to live here and what it is to live there and the um, things I have open to me, the opportunities I have open to me. Someone had to do that for me and uh, I want to do it for others.
0: But did you, I mean, at at that time that
1: you were serving on the ground
0: in Iraq, it seems like in your book you were basically saying you weren't sure why you guys were being sent on the front lines to Iraq. So when you say freedom isn't free and we're here to, you know, create that, in what sense were you as a soldier at that point protecting Me Or have you come to kind of question that? Well,
1: because um, it's not just a particular instance. It's the whole concept of uh, the the country, the government, and things like that. We elect certain people to make decisions for us when it comes to um, politics and, you know, me standing as a a, a specialist in the United States Army saying, I don't believe in this particular situation is not going to change the whole government and, and just erase the political stuff that happens. So um, I knew that I would have to follow the orders that were given to me, whether I liked them or not. And uh, as a, an American citizen, a voting American citizen, I can make my voice be heard at an- another time.
0: Okay. you You write about the fact that the Army had kind of sent you into this war zone Without a lot of preparation. Yeah, we. we some I mean, this are, is the US Army, and you guys are is. being sent to fright, fight on the front lines while you're a cook at yes. that point. So when you think about that, this is the US Army, and they're sending someone, well,
1: many people who weren't really trained, didn't have the right equipment. It's um, frustrating, very frustrating. Um, As a cook, I'm trained in my job. First, I'm a soldier. I know how to fire my weapon, things like that. I wasn't trained in uh, guerrilla warfare or anything like that. That wasn't my job. Um, Of course, now, because of what happened to us, they are training every soldier a little differently. So what happened to me wasn't in vain. Um, But it was sad to know that some of the equipment we had was failing us, and they didn't seem to be able to replace it, get it done in a quickly manner. Um, I think this came to light actually a couple years later, when they had a soldier say to Donald Rumfeld, "You know, what? You know, why don't we have great equipment?" And he said something like, uh, "You go to the ar- you go to war with the army you have, not the army you wish for." Some some mm-hmm. comment like that I remember, and I think at that point that opened up a lot of people's eyes <laughs> to what soldiers are dealing with in the United States Army. Um, things have gotten better, but we aren't there yet. Let's go back to 2003.
0: So you still were kind of like, all right, I'm going to Kuwait, but I'm going to be the backup force, because yes. you're a cook. Mm-hmm, i support. Your support. And then they come in and say, we're going on a convoy. Yeah, we're going to Iraq. And you said, yes, sir.
1: Yeah, at first I was like, huh? What are you talking about? (laughs) And they were like, we're going to Iraq. I said, why? (laughs) I questioned it. I'm not going to lie. I I, I was asking questions. Why are we going? Who did you ask? I asked my immediate uh, supervisor, my NCO, and he was like, Johnson, I don't know. We got the orders. We're going to Iraq. (laughs) So you you can actually, so in that
0: sense, you can say to your uh, commanding officer why and that's okay? Well,
1: not my commanding officer. It was my, you know, it was a little bit ways okay. down. Okay. Saying that to a commanding officer means yeah. not so much. Yeah, um, and for Captain King I, I did ask and, you know, of course I don't, it's not the same way. I'd be like, you know, sir, what, what is the mission for us to be going into Iraq? We're supporting, you know, the Patriot missiles and this and that and I was like, okay. But aren't the mechanics going with them? Why are we, the cooks, the supply cooks, <laughs> going to, that's the orders we're given, this is the mission, this is what we have to do. And that's the answer. And that's not even a really good answer, but. You guys head off in a convoy. Yes. Of how many trucks? Uh, initially, we, we were in a large
0: convoy of like 600 vehicles long. Oh my gosh. And you're just driving through. Is it really the way
1: you're describing the book? It's just complete deserts? Yes for and hours, hours and hours and hours. And I mean, if you get lost, you get turned around, you can't even tell which way is up. So,
0: how does it happen that if you're in a convoy of 600 cars, trucks, right, mm-hmm. um, that suddenly you guys get lost? I mean, you, you make a, r- first of all, you end up in an urban area. Yes. And you started questioning, you were like, what are we
1: doing in this urban area, right? Immediately, I was like, this is so wrong. Um, we, what happened is, vehicles, it's a lot of sand, vehicles get caught, wheels turning, and it took a while to pull vehicles out of the sand, and the convoy keeps going. You know, they can't stop for 10 or 15 of us. And, you know, it keeps happening. We're we're actually like two days behind at this point. Yeah. Two days? Yeah, it's like two days so behind. So you're just like, how many trucks on your own? Uh, it came down to, I would say about 15 trucks, uh, about 33, 34 people.
0: I don't know, I, w- I would imagine that if you said, look there's just 15 trucks, we're kind of isolated, please wait for us, that they would say we're going to wait for you because isn't it about
1: we don't leave any soldier behind? Yeah, exactly, and that's the, prob- that's the prob- big problem we had. We were supposed to hit a checkpoint and at the checkpoint, they reconfirm the information you have, reconfirm which direction, which route you're going on, and when we got to the checkpoint there was no one there. They were gone. So uh, they went with the information they had.
0: And at that point in your book you say that you basically are saying why are we doing this? This is a bad decision.
1: Don't... But can you say that as a soldier? Not really, I mean I had the discussion with a couple of the other soldiers around the same rank as myself and I was like this feels wrong, um, something's not right. Why, why are we, and then we pass Marines. The Army never passes Marines. I don't understand. We pass the Marines on the road, and I'm thinking, "Wow, this is so wrong. I have a really bad feeling. but what are you going to do? Then all of a sudden, gunfire breaks out, yeah, after we enter the city. And you've never... <laughs> I mean, I mean we fired our weapon. I know what gunfire you know, going down range. When gunfire is coming towards you, that's a different sound than you firing at someone else. So, um, it just sounds like rocks hitting a windshield and it was very shocking. And uh, Hernandez and I were like, oh my God, they're firing at us.
0: Hernandez was in the the vehicle with you. He was the driver. And at that moment, suddenly things were happening, boom, 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 and you realize now that trucks have overturned, Mm -hmm. that your soldiers who you were with two seconds ago who were alive... Are gone. Are gone. And then you crawl underneath a truck?
1: Yeah, we um, got out the vehicle, Sergeant Riley came up and a couple of bullets went by really close. He was like, take cover. We hit the ground. Uh, We take cover underneath the vehicle to return fire. Um, The minute I hit ground to return fire, I get shot. And it's amazing because Sergeant Riley ran a good hundred yards, bullets flying, not a scratch on him. Not a scratch on him I didn't move two feet from my truck and I get shot and you get shot in each leg yes once in each leg it um from what they understood it was one bullet hit both legs so you're under attack you're under
0: fire you get shot and you're and then your weapons are jamming right yes we're having
1: problems with the weapons so you can't even return, return fire. fire and what are you thinking about at that moment uh, I'm a lot of prayers a <laughs> lot of prayers. And I'm thinking, you know, they're going to come get us. They're going to come and get us. And then, you know, realization that, no, we're surrounded. We can't do anything. And Sergeant Riley makes the decision. We have to surrender. And I'm thinking, that's the last thing I want to do. But he's thinking he has two people, myself and Hernandez, that he is responsible for. So he makes a decision. Which is kind of, you know,
0: I'm sure in your moment, you're, you're, in your mind at that time, you're thinking, you want to surrender to this enemy?
1: That's right. But he, you know, and looking back, I was like, no, I don't want to surrender. I don't want to surrender. But I was thinking, what's going to happen to me? He's thinking, I need to take care of them.
0: Because there really wasn't an out. I mean, either you were going to die or you we'll surrender. surrender. And exactly. if you surrender, you could die. Yes. So. You end up, at, at one point very soon after, the Iraqis who take you realize that you're a woman. Yes.
1: And they kind of. Yeah, it, it's kind of in the middle of the beating. You know, my Kevlar comes off, my braids come out, they realize I'm a female, and they they're, stop. They're
0: kick, they're, at that point, they're just, even though you're shot in both legs and you're bleeding, they come up to you and they're just basically
1: yeah. kicking your butt. Yes. In a, yeah. And you're taking this all. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a choice. I, you know, you cover up, you block your head, and, and that's about it. And then, what, what is the most revealing
0: part? I mean, some of the things that you talk about in the book about how you were treated by some of your Iraqi captors was really extraordinary. What was, I mean, talk a little bit about that, what was revealing to you about these people who were your
1: enemy, mm-hmm. and now you're their hostage. It's really seeing the human side of it. There's good and bad. You know, uh, when I first got captured and I was separated um, from the men, I remember, you know, being groped Uh, uh, when I voiced a concern about being groped, I was slapped, but that was one individual. There's another time during my captivity where there's a gentleman that went out of his way to be kind to me. Um, I think we need to stop looking at this group of people as just a group and start seeing individuals. There is good and bad no matter where you go, no matter what religion, no matter what race, what sex. And we need to start judging each individual on their own personal actions. Um, And that really, I mean my parents always taught me that, but this was just really uh, opened my eyes to the situation. Because that first instance where I was groped and slapped, I could have held a grudge against all the Iraqi people, or all Iraqi men, but I have to remember the kindness of that one man who, for all I know, was later injured for his kindness toward me. You know, I, I really have to um, think of individuals, not a a group, you know. There's so many people that like to say, those people, those Muslims, those Arabs. I'm like, stop with the, those people, because that's the same way they we they're referred to us, those Americans.
0: Those bad Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have bullet wounds in both of your legs, Yes. ripped tendons, broken bones, and you are being forced to walk. How did you do that, Shoshana? I know that you're kind of like, well, I don't know, but really, how do you, in that moment, deal with the fact that you are overwhelming, overwhelmed with pain?
1: Um, I wanted to live. I wanted to live. I thought that they would reach a point where they would get tired of carrying me. I was, you know, and I I couldn't be a burden. So when they started to push me to walk, I walked because I wanted to live. I didn't want them to get tired, you know, and just put a bullet in my head. So it it becomes this instinct. you You were held for
0: 21 days. Mm-hmm. And you, you kept on thinking that they were going to come, that they were going to come, but it took 21 days. Yeah. In that time, did you realize what was happening? Did, you had no clue that the rest of the world was kind of watching.
1: No, I didn't, didn't have a clue. Um, very isolated, all I was wondering about was going home to my family, um, you know, I wondered what happened to the rest of the company and uh, my fellow POWs, you know. Uh, what, what did you do to remain hopeful? I mean, how did you? It was hard. I went back and forth a lot talking about this is it. today's the day I'm going to die. And then I would think, you know, God brought me through that ambush for a reason. There's got to be a reason. I'm still here. And I would think of my daughter. I would think of um, what am I going to do when I get home. Uh, you know, you really go through everything. I want to see this movie. I want to lose five pounds. You try to go because, just to keep you going. You, I can't sit here and think about what's going on outside that cell door. Every minute I'll go crazy. So I definitely thought of uh, my life after.
0: So there's a lot of, of talk about what happens when these soldiers are taken hostage. One of the other soldiers was Jessica Lynch. And you witnessed a little bit about what happened with Jessica Lynch's story. So. Talk to me a little bit about what the media sees, the story that is portrayed, and the reality, and how you feel about the fact that you're really in the crosshairs of that.
1: It's difficult, you know. When we came home, Lynch had already been rescued. We came home, and there were so many different stories about it, what, what happened and things like that. And we're like, none of this happened. Where is this coming from? Um, of course, we got to talk to her before anybody else did. and. Uh, she was at a loss too, because she hadn't she hadn't been allowed to speak to any reporters and stuff at that time so the i don't we really didn't understand where these stories were coming from um how they were blowing these things out of proportion, so it is um eye opening to be on the other end of things, not just as someone reading the paper but as the story itself in the paper um to make you angry does that i i it got got me angry because It wasn't the truth. Um, There were other people involved, Sergeant Walters, Patrick Miller, who they attributed their actions to Lynch. Um, These two individuals uh, acted very heroically and they deserve credit for what they did. And uh, uh, Lynch felt the same way. We all had a discussion about it. So um, we were eager to set the story straight but then there was also the issue of we weren't allowed to talk to the press about it because there was an investigation being done by the military. And uh, while the investigation was ongoing, we weren't allowed to uh, uh, speak to the press. And that just fueled the fire. It seemed. And and basically you're, you're, your understanding
0: is that what the story out there in the media is that basically you guys messed up.
1: Yeah. Uh, that, that was another thing. Your that unit
0: had problems. You guys weren't up to par. You made mistakes. You made bad choices. Yeah.
1: It, it's amazing how they can put all the blame on these, what, 33 soldiers who uh, um, had no control over that much of what was going on. And then when it comes down to it, there are other people within the military that had the same problems. They had problems with their weapons, other people had issues, you know, with their GPS and stuff going down, and they're becoming lost. It happened all the time. We just happened to be caught in the ambush. And uh, even parts of our battalion, you know, other units in our battalion had issues also. But that was never brought to the light. They wanted to put all the blame on us and then walk away.
0: So when you look at it right now, and I know that you believe that what you went through as a hostage is that... um that it did serve a purpose. Yes. But when you hear what's happening right now with the bigger push into Afghanistan, and you see again in the newspaper the names of the soldiers, and this is not Iraq now, this is an a entirely different war. Can you allow yourself to question
1: why we're there? Is this the right thing? Can you do that? I will always question every um, military action. Is this the right one? Will it uh, get the job done? Will it cost us too many American lives? And I think that's my right as an American citizen to question that. Um, but it's always heartbreaking to read more names being added to the list of people I know. Do you think and, we can win this both in Iraq and Afghanistan? Uh, I don't know. I don't know, because people seem to think that, you know, by military action is the way we win it. That's not necessarily true. This is an ideology, and uh, you have to combat this on two different fronts. Uh, You know, this is, some of these people are um, fighting for their religion. How do you fight, you know, how is just a basic military action going to combat that? I'm very passionate about my religion, I expect they're, they're very passionate about theirs. So um, it is not just a military issue, it's very much a political issue, a social issue.
0: You come back and something, because the story of course doesn't end with your rescue, which was extraordinary and so many of us witnessed it. I love the fact that you were always worried about your hair. Oh, it's like, wait, I'm a POW, but how does the hair look? Oh my God, Mom, how
1: could they take? I'm just, I love that humanity
0: because, like, you're a female soldier, but you know, you're still worried about the hair.
1: I, you know, I'm me, and um, at that point, I know I'm okay. At that, you know, I know I'm okay. Those Marines had taken care of business. I was on my way home, so I really was able to just relax and think. I'm going home. I could worry about normal stuff now, not whether. I'm going to get a bullet in the head or I'm going to be fed or I'm going to be raped. I can worry about normal stuff.
0: What was that rescue like? Because you
1: had been waiting again for 21 days. You were like, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming. Oh, I was a little anxious. I was like, you know, where is the special forces? I I know they are capable of taking care of this situation. But um, it was incredible, incredible. The Marines came breaking down the door just like in the movies and um, they just handled business. I had the opportunity to have a dinner a couple of days ago with the general who gave the order for our rescue. Didn't call up to get permission from anybody at the top. Really? No, he didn't. He got the information and he was like, if they call up, they might want to delay and stuff and we don't have time for that. Let's do it. Wow. Yeah, he made an outstanding command decision to get it done and I'm very appreciative because uh, I don't know if we would have been there if they delayed. You really felt like they could have killed you at any moment. Yeah. Even though they were treating you nicely. Treating us nicely, but we were still in enemy hands. I mean, our guards still had weapons strapped to their hip and things like that, so. It was real. It was real, very much real. And we started to move from home, from prisons to homes. And to me, that said, you know, the situation is changing.
0: You end up coming back. and. You know, people would like to think that the story ends there, right? You're rescued, you come back, you're with your family, you're with your parents, you're with your daughter. Mm-hmm. And then you begin to realize that you're suffering from post-traumatic shock. Yeah. And that, what was that realization like? Like, oh my God, I thought I was fine, I'm free, but here I am. What, you were yelling at your family, you were fighting with everyone. What were, the, what were some of the symptoms um, that you saw?
1: Uh, it, my family really saw it first. Uh, I was, uh, had a quick temper, I didn't sleep. Sometimes if I did sleep I would pop out of my um, sleep, I mean I'd jump out of bed. Um, You know, certain times I would lose time. I'd have a flashback and go back to the day of the ambush and they're talking to me and can't catch my attention and things like that. Um, It was, and I I kept saying I was fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Because
0: soldiers aren't supposed to get post-traumatic stress disorder.
1: I said, after living all of this, through all of this, this isn't going to get me. I'm fine. And, uh, and, and it kind of did get you. It did. It broke me down a little bit. And my parents came to me and said, your daughter just came to us and said, Mommy cries all the time. When are you going to get some help? And it, it, that's when it got me. I, here I am affecting my, you know, two-year-old child. I'm supposed to be raising her, and I'm not capable of doing it. I have to get help. How hard is it for an
0: American soldier to say, I have post-traumatic shock
1: and I need help? It's very difficult. Um, Our motto was you suck it up and drive on. You have to accomplish the mission. To admit that you are broken and not physically broken, we can accept physical limitations, but you're broken inside and you need help is very hard. It is very hard and there's a lot of stigma attached to it but there is no shame there should be no shame in admitting you need help you did what you had to do for your job for your country saying you need help shouldn't be an issue
0: you actually
1: are now out of the army yes and you are doing what with your life I'm a culinary arts student uh, finishing up my dream this part of my dream uh, and I shall be a um, pastry chef I should graduate in spring of 2011 so I'm happy Shoshana
0: Johnson thank you for your story thank you you thank you for your service and we are so happy that you're alive thank you very much continue the conversation at wgbh.org slash one-on-one